Welcome to Great Australian Lives for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Here's your host, Laura Turner. Hello and welcome to another special edition of Great Australian Lives for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. I'm Laura Turner. Our guest tonight is going to take us on a journey, a journey to motherhood that follows a path less travelled. As a successful journalist, editor, photographer and blogger, our guest travelled the world bringing luxury travel experiences to her readers, but it would be the challenge of becoming a mother that would inspire her first book, which of course is a real life story. It is my pleasure to welcome Despina Meris, author of Every Conceivable Way to Great Australian Lives. How are you, Despina? Very well. Thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. It's the perfect time of year to be uh, discussing motherhood, of course. Um, but before we talk about your new memoir, Every Conceivable Way, which details your nine-year quest to become a mum, let's go, um, let's set it up. Let's talk about you before you were a mum. Um you, among many things, were a successful travel li- uh, travel writer. Um, what was your lifestyle like then? Were you on and off planes all the time? Oh, it was, yeah, very dri- different from now, I'll tell you that. <laughs> um, yeah, we had um, lots of beautiful experiences traveling. And um, to be honest, I always incorporated travel into my life, whatever phase that I was in. So I would, yeah, get on planes all the time, but I'd always go to places I loved, um, and if I was single, I was single. If I went with my husband, I went with my husband. And now with my child, even more so. I think travel is just a part of your life, no matter what stage and phase you're in. It was really wonderful. Really, at the moment, though, is it? Is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know. I've definitely, my wings have been clipped, that's for yeah, sure. But um, yeah. there are much bigger things at hand. So um, yeah, that's I'm right. just happy to be well. Yeah. <laughs> is it as glamorous as it seems? It seems, I mean, the, we see those beautiful pictures in the glossy magazines um, of travel destinations, but I'm sure there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes. Yeah, look, it is and it isn't. It's just like real life. You know, there are moments uh, where you take in the, the glamour and the beauty of the experience that you're in, but there is so much, you know, drudgery that led up to it. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's a bit of both, but yeah. it goes from visiting very beautiful places or places with um, huge spiritual meaning, um, very incredible cultural experiences to take you to faraway places. Mm-hmm. And in the background, you're, you know, fighting for it every step of the way, I guess, you know, <laughs> to make it work, to make it happen, to uncover places that people haven't been to. So there's a hot, a lot of hard work before you see those beautiful photos, that's for sure. Do you have a favourite place? I mean, my partner used to have his own travel show and he tells me that um, India is by far one of the most incredible places he has been to. Do you, do you have a spot that just took your breath away? Uh, yes, I, I think I'm often asked this question and it's really hard to pick a favourite. Mm, I'll bet. I'll give you two though. I'll give you two so I don't have to pick favorites. But um, I think in terms of like the most profound experience that I had that was very moving and surprised me uh, was definitely Kakadu. Mm. I traveled there thinking, okay, everyone says you have to do this. I was fairly new to Australia. I thought, oh, this will be beautiful and very different from anything I'd ever seen. But I didn't anticipate just how vast and glorious it is there. And there's Mm. an energy and a spirituality that really overcomes you. And I think I just didn't expect to be affected in so many ways. 
Right. And uh, it, it also it surprised me because I really didn't think there were places on this planet that were just so beautiful and untouched. So we went with this tour that really took us into areas that where no one else was. And uh, it was a pretty rough and ready uh, tour. And it was uh, very new to me because uh, growing up <laughs> in New York, I didn't really mm. have a lot of nature around me. Not so it was uh, very mm. foreign. Yeah, to be traveling for <laughs> kilometers through the desert to get to this amazing waterfall that appeared out of nowhere. So that was wow. um, spectacular. <laughs> and my other favorite that I always bring up is Greece. Uh, my background is Greek. Mm -hmm. But I think that a lot of people have traveled to Greece. You either feel it or you don't. And I feel like you really are a better version of yourself when you're there. Between, yeah, I think spot. it's mostly um, the sights, the sounds, like all the senses are inspired while you're there and you just feel brilliantly alive. So, Do you, do you yeah, have a favorite island? Oh, don't make me do that. A Greek island. I'll make I mean. a lot of enemies. Yeah. <laughs> I'll make a lot of enemies. I actually, my favorite island is Leros. Uh, mm -hmm. It's a very tiny island. Most people haven't heard of it. I'm not sure if you have. No, I've been it's, to Corfu um, a number of times. That's why I ask because I love Corfu. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Corfu's amazing. Look, there's mm. so many and they're all great in their own ways. But Leros is this tiny island. It's closer to Rhodes. Mm -hmm. And um, it's very untouched, and it's a real fairy tale sort of a place. Mm, so it's uh, it's beautiful. And once we are allowed to get on, you know, those big airplanes again and 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 cross international borders, where where's the first place you want to be? Oh, that's a big one. I try not to think about it too much because <laughs> I feel like I don't know how far away that is. Uh, I've always wanted to go to South America. Mm -hmm. That's uh, one untouched continent for me. So I feel like that would probably be my next one. And and during those years when you were travelling, you say either single or with your husband, um, what what were your feelings about motherhood then before you were a mum? Um, it was it's interesting. I mean, I I never felt like I was going to rush it. I felt like motherhood is one of those things that you really have to be ready and really want it because it is difficult. But I also thought it was a guaranteed part of my life. Like mm. from a young child, I never um, had any doubt that I would be a mum. Mm. And your own mum was uh, quite a big um, strength in your life and influence on you, wasn't she? Oh, very, very much so. Very much so. My mom's, um, she's a very strong person. She went through a lot and she was very inspiring, I think, in her optimism after all the challenges that she went through, including separating from my father, who had a, a lot of his own issues from when her kids were very young, raising us on her own, having her own business. Um, it, you know, New York's not an easy city to live in. And she was doing it on her own and raising children and running her own business. And I think she approached it. She never felt like a victim. She always approached it with such positivity and such strength. And I've really drawn from that in my life. Mm, that's a great influence um, for a mum to have on a daughter. Absolutely. And you, you, as one of your first jobs or your first job, you were sort of sweeping the floors and answering the phones in her hair salon, weren't you? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. It was, it was part of life when I was younger and um, it was all hands on deck in our house. There was no, um, there was no division of labor. It was, um, you're not <laughs> at school, you're here at the shop and you're helping. 
<laughs> and you, so you're a young girl growing up in Astoria, New York, um, and uh, I've, I've read you've described as a really tough area, uh, really multicultural. Um, how does um, how does a young Despina end up meeting the man of her dreams in Australia? Oh, it's a it's a pretty romantic story. I've got to say, in, in mm-hmm. a nutshell, um, my sister had already married an Australian before me. So she mm. she laid the path, I guess, and mm-hmm. um, introduced me to my husband-to-be. I was quite young at the time. I really wasn't looking for a relationship. I loved Australia. I absolutely loved Melbourne and could see myself living there one day. But I thought, oh, it's far too soon. I'm not in that stage. And, um, you know, as older sisters do, they know best. And she introduced <laughs> me and she was right. <laughs> I was just <laughs> fell head over heels for him. So you packed your bags and moved down under. Um, did you know he was he was the he was the man you, you wanted to have children with, obviously? Oh, just absolutely. I think I mean it doesn't happen that way for everyone, but it definitely no. did for me. From the first time I met him, I just knew this was it. Yeah. You couldn't fight inevitability, and I felt like this was definitely going to happen. Mm. And did you um, did you two make a conscious decision to start trying to have a baby at, at, at some stage? We did after a while. I mean, we wanted to travel a bit. Like I said, I was I was pretty young when we first got together, and mm. we weren't really in a rush. We travelled a lot during that um, during that period, and we kind of we both knew we wanted children. Like that was. Um, our destiny and we thought it'll happen and we didn't leave it too late but we thought we'll take a few years to get to know each other better to get a few fights out of the way um <laughs> to travel uh, you know what it's like the first few yeah. years you know i had to, i had moved to a new country assimilate, yeah, you know make yeah. make friendships here mm. um so we did all that and then yeah when i was um just before i turned 30 i think i was 29 we started consciously trying to have children and when did you realise that perhaps it wasn't going to be, you know, an easy ride? It was interesting. I mean, we had no reason to think we were going to have any issues. We had no health conditions. Our age, from what, you know, doctors said then and still say today, was in a really healthy range to have children. We really just thought it was going to be a walk in the park. Uh, we approached it in a really relaxed manner and just thought, kind of took for granted that it would really happen for us, you know, within mm. a few months. And um, luckily, well, we thought luckily at the time um, I fell pregnant, I think it was three months down the track. And we thought, great, this is done. We picked out names. We were just, you know, ready to roll. We just never thought there would be any issues. So, you know, we approached Mm -hmm. it with a bit of naivete, I guess. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, I I miscarried during that first pregnancy. Mm. And then it was Um, really bumpy after that. It was. It was. We didn't, um, again, we didn't really, we weren't given any reason to think it would be bumpy. So we kind of approached it with a healthy dose of optimism once we recovered, uh, once we got over the shock, because it was a shock when you mm. just don't expect it. You think it's mm. the thing that happens to other people, I guess. Yep, and absolutely. It won't happen to you. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we, once we got over the shock, we thought, all right, these things happen. It's part of life you know, pick up the pieces and um, start all over again. But um, after that, I mean, really nothing came easily. After a year of trying naturally and uh, not falling pregnant, we turned to IVF. Mm. And then using IVF and really quite a few different doctors, we ended up having, 
really miscarriage after miscarriage after miscarriage until we had five unexplained miscarriages. Wow. Yeah, well, we, it was um, it was devastating because we we weren't given a reason, and I think when you're not given a reason for a problem, it's almost impossible to find a solution. Yeah, that's so painful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll hear plenty more about your story after this break. This is Great Australian Lives for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives and Tobin Brothers offer a range of very practical solutions to help you plan a funeral and pay tribute to your loved one. Plenty more with writer, photographer and editor Despina Meris, who has just published her first book, Every Conceivable Way, which recounts her and her partner's nine-year quest to become parents. More in just a moment. You're listening to Great Australian Lives with Laura Turner for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to Great Australian Lives for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Our guest tonight is author, photographer and editor Despina Meris, whose memoir, Every Conceivable Way, is in all good bookstores right now. Now, Despina, before the break, we talked about your glamorous at times life and luxury uh, experiences as a travel writer uh, and the love story of meeting your husband and moving to Melbourne. Um Do you think there's anything that could have prepared you for what lay ahead as you two sought to become parents? Um, I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think anyone could have expected uh, what we went through um, down that path. And I also think it's really difficult, unless you've personally experienced something, to really understand it. Miscarriage and pregnancy loss is something that so many women and, and couples go through, but it's not always something that we're really comfortable talking about is it were you comfortable in letting people into those really personal moments when when it was happening to you I actually was fiercely private at the time I mean believe it or not because I've opened up with a book now and for all the world to see but um I actually uh, for a number of reasons I just thought it was the most private painful thing I was experiencing Mm -hmm. and I didn't want to let anyone else in on it I was fiercely fiercely protective of it I think a few times I tried to open up and people do try and say the right things Mm, but I think because (laughs) when yeah I know I think and people I think they do mean the best but unfortunately they can say quite painful things yeah um when you've suffered something just so grievous um and I found myself just clamming up more and more as time went on I also didn't want to share the grief with anyone. I just thought it was too disappointing to bring my family and my friends down this path with us. And although I let them in on a few things, I thought it's just too much for one person. Mm. So, yeah, yeah, I clammed up about it. And I really, I see a fantastic shift in people opening up about miscarriage and infertility. It's everywhere on social media. It's everywhere in conversations with girlfriends. And I'm finding even when I speak with people who've read the book or at my events, I share my story and everyone has a story to tell and it's incredible to hear, yeah, people finally having conversations about this. Yeah, It's not something that should be left in the shadows. It's not something to be ashamed of. I think the more we open up about it, the more we realize that unfortunately it's a it's a sad but um, natural part of life. Yeah, and, and even the journey of IVF, you know, some people might think it's a silver bullet. It's it'll If I struggle naturally, that's the answer. But even that is such, uh, as you know more than most, um, a difficult road at times. 
Yes. And I, I absolutely struggled with that. I thought once we started IVF, if I fall pregnant using IVF, that was just, that was it. You know, I've had all my, all the doctors on my side, all the science I've embraced it. I've done it. We're pregnant. There is nothing that can go wrong. So when you have a miscarriage during IVF, it's even more shocking because you think this has been analyzed to, you know, within every cell, actually physically every cell of your embryo. Mm. And so you think really, there's no chance of it not working. So it's especially shocking, I think. Yeah. What was the hardest part, obviously, aside from, from losing um, pregnancies but during IVF? Was it the injections, the, you know, living on that sort of strict schedule? What was the hardest part of IVF? Yeah, I think I um, the schedule was the hardest because I'm, I can be a pretty spontaneous person. Mm. Uh, it really took out all the spontaneity of my life. And it wasn't just the, you know, when you're having injections, it's when you're planning trips or family functions or get-togethers all of it is now under the lens of mm. IVF and infertility mm-hmm. and so it, you don't get a break from it there's no day when you're not thinking about it because you're trying to plan your life around it so that you don't miss out on special occasions yeah absolutely and in your book every conceivable way you say of surrogacy it felt like this foreign concept that was really far-fetched more that what celebrities do than your average person um, now that you've been through that Uh, process. um, Do you think that's still the common sentiment? Well, I think think it's still a little bit misunderstood, but it's definitely receiving more publicity. And I think uh, more and more people are undergoing surrogacy and you hear about it a lot more. So I think at the time, especially, it was very underground. It was very quiet. And it was misunderstood and also sensationalized because when it goes wrong, it does go horribly wrong. And so when you hear stories like that, you think this isn't really something that's for me or something that I'd approach lightly. So mm. I did a lot, a lot of research about it to understand it for myself before I proceeded. Yeah. And it's really not a straightforward process, is it? You don't just find someone and it happens. No, it isn't. Contrary to popular belief, it's, <laughs> it's not easy at all. And there's there, there's always risk involved. I mean, think of every pregnancy story you've ever heard or every labor story. They're all different. They're all unique mm. in their own ways. And so there there is a bit of risk. And then throw into that the fact that you're doing international surrogacy, throw into that mm. that it's not monitored by anyone here. And you need to be that person. You've got that responsibility on your shoulders to know that you're going with the right people, ethical clinics, great doctors. I mean, you really have to kind of be the captain of your own ship. And it's a, it's a mm. lot of responsibility. But uh, once you get there, you're, you, know, you can be confident to move forward. And it is such a miraculous and beautiful thing. <laughs> you found your surrogate in Thailand. Um, and that was right at the well part of the process was right at the um right in 2014 um when Australia learned about the baby gammy scandal um and you were someone we didn't know of at that time that was going through this but um that was a really painful experience for you wasn't it can you explain how and why oh it was absolutely awful awful uh we had a surrogate who was pregnant at the time we had just found out that she was pregnant with our son and we really didn't get a chance to celebrate i think it was one or two weeks later when um 
basically the military junta in Thailand decided overnight to outlaw surrogacy after that that horrible case um, that we heard about. So mm. their knee-jerk reaction was to make it illegal without consulting anyone. And what that did in the end was force doctors and clinics and surrogates to all go underground because no one knew where they stood. No one knew if they were going to be arrested, uh, uh, what the situation, how it was going to unfold. And what that did for the handful of people going through it, like myself, is to lose touch completely with a surrogate who was pregnant with your child. Oh, my God. And so the absolute worst crossed our minds, of course, and we thought, what if we lose her completely? We didn't have her contact details. We didn't know how to find her. Even just to tell her that no matter what happens, we are coming to Thailand and we are fighting for this child. Yeah. But she didn't know that. And so uh, we just uh, we spoke with DFAT at the time and uh, we basically said, if this isn't resolved in a week, we are flying to Thailand and we will find her on foot. Yeah. Like we just yeah, couldn't wait. Even that week felt like an eternity yeah. to, to find out um, what, was, what was going to happen. But um, in the end, they did say that um, any pregnant surrogates would be looked after, that it was legal and within our rights for us to take our children back to our countries, yeah. respective countries. Yeah. And How so the doctors and the clinic started coming anyway. online again. Ugh. Oh, it took, I think it was just under two weeks, but really right. it shaved 10 years off my life. Yeah, <laughs> no, I was going to say, the most stressed. painful, yeah. You would have felt so powerless <laughs> in that time. I th and I think, oh, look, I mean, th there's really nothing worse, I mean, than, than losing your child, whether it's in utero or whether it's mm. in um, a shopping center. I think it's just one of the worst feelings in the world. And to think we had come so far, it, it was really horrific. I just, I, I felt sick the entire yeah. time until I, I knew what was going to happen. And when you found your surrogate again, um, how far along was she in the pregnancy and, and, and what did she say to you? Was she scared or was she apologetic? What did she say? Uh, it was interesting. I think it was we were still in the first trimester when we finally spoke and it was via a Skype call. Mm -hmm. And she doesn't speak English, so we always had a translator um, to, to be able to communicate. And she, um, I basically was in tears i couldn't explain to her quickly enough how we were never going to let anything happen to her we were never going to let anything happen to this child we would come there she would not be alone we'd look after her but obviously it was after the fact but i felt like i still had to say those words so she yeah. understood mm. our, our situation but mm. really she was she made us look really crazy she was very <laughs> she was very calm and she was very placid and just so zen about the whole situation. And she said, look, I knew it was all going to work out. I knew it would all be fine. It was just yeah. a waiting game. Yeah. And I thought, wow, you're really making me look a little bit psycho. <laughs> I was just beside myself for, for, those, for that period. And she was yeah. completely fine. I wish I'd known yeah. that really during that oh, time. But I mean, I think any mother can understand. I mean, if you, it's, it's a really powerless feeling to be pregnant with a baby inside your own body. You can't have no control over anything. So when your baby is inside somebody else's body in another country, that is sort of trying to outlaw the process that they're going through. I, that is just a nightmare. I, I, hats off to you it, it for really still being was. sane. Thank you. <laughs> 
Thank you. I might need years of therapy after that experience, but um, it was, um, it was absolutely, it was insane. And I think when you go into surrogacy, you really have to let go. Mm. You just have to let go of the sense of control. You have Mm. to trust the surrogate and the decisions that you've made leading up to this. And it's a really huge moment. It's a huge moment to say, I'm going to trust someone else to carry my child for me and know that and just trust that she's going to do the best by, by the baby. That is enormous. This is Great Australian Lives for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. For more information, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Our guest tonight is writer Despina Meris, author of Every Conceivable Way. And, of course, if our discussion of pregnancy loss has raised any issues for you, help is available. You'll find more information at sands.org.au and you can call their 24-7 phone support line on 1300 308 307. But more with Despina in just a moment. Welcome back to Great Australian Lives for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Our guest tonight is author, photographer and editor Despina Meris, whose memoir, Every Conceivable Way, which recounts the couple's nine-year quest to become parents while exposing the IBF and surrogacy industries, the fertility merry-go-round and what it's like to live for years with uncertainty. That uncertainty, Despina, you write so eloquently about in Every Conceivable Way. I mean, we talked a little bit about this but in terms of you know having a pregnancy outside your own body but in terms of dealing with governments and two different countries and and those sorts of issues how powerless did you feel with regards to that yes look I really I was shocked at how much responsibility was on my shoulders I had doctors who basically said your only way forward is surrogacy that will help you overcome the issues that you've had until now But after that, they would wash their hands clean clean of it. They wouldn't recommend a clinic or a reputable doctor. They didn't want to be involved. It was not, it wasn't that it was frowned upon by the Australian government, but I think they, they didn't understand it. And at the time, the laws were quite different from what they are now. Uh, there was very little tolerance of surrogacy and especially international surrogacy. So basically no one wanted to get involved at the time and you were left. It was you and Google (laughs) pretty much (laughs) left to try and, and, you know, navigate this minefield of, of potential problems and complexities. Mm -hmm. What saved me in the end were there were quite a few private Facebook groups and those groups were very honest about their experiences and they had to be, they were basically paying it forward or basically saying Mm -hmm. that I didn't have this guidance, but let me tell you exactly what happened in India or exactly what happened in the Ukraine. And I think they, they were the only reason I was able to move forward because everyone's Mm. got a fancy website that says they're a great ethical clinic doing international surrogacy. Mm. But when you speak to actual Australians who've done it themselves, that's when you get that bird's eye view into which clinics to avoid or which countries to avoid because the laws Mm. are quite different in each country and they change very Mm. quickly. Um, And they gave me the confidence to move forward. Mm. Is that why you chose Thailand? Yeah, so I went to three countries in the end. Um, They were all very different in their laws. I tried uh, India initially Mm. because in India um, I would have been on the birth certificate. 
So nice. my husband and I would have been the mother and father on the birth certificate. It's very clear cut. Yes. And once you do bring your child back to Australia, and you've said that your child was born through surrogacy and you present the mm -hmm. contracts and you bring your child back, after that it's done. Yeah. But in a country like Thailand, which unfortunately now has, has banned surrogacy for internationals, mm -hmm. uh, but at the time they um, were putting the surrogate uh, mother on the birth certificate as the mother. Mm. So it just adds this level of complexity. You know, I've got mm. a birth certificate for my son that doesn't have me on there, even though he's my mm. genetic child. Mm. Not mm. my ideal option. I, yeah. yeah, I tried to avoid it. But in the end, it was great in every other way in terms of the care of the doctors, the quality of the medical care, yeah. the delivery. Yeah. I mean, everything was wonderful after, after the military coup. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> oh, everything God. was breezy after that but um yeah. no i would, just had a very pleasant experience otherwise there would dfat helpful to you throughout that period i think they, they tried their yeah. best but at the end yeah. of the day it's something that's managed by the governments of each country so yeah. they've got their relationships and they'll put their mm. two cents in but with something mm. like this i mean they really couldn't go against what was decided by the military it was their country to do with what they wish and i think they were on our side but also didn't have a lot of power to do anything about it god i can't I cannot imagine the frustration the, tell me about the last few weeks of the pregnancy you you sort of gotten over the hurdle of the massive hurdle of the that military coup and all those issues um and the pregnancy um progressed and uh, tell me about those last few weeks was it um was it an excruciating wait <laughs> it was uh, it was interesting. It um, was not an excruciating way because he arrived seven weeks earlier than planned. Ah, there you so go. So instead he came far more quickly than we expected. Luckily, he was very healthy. Yeah. But it was just way too fast. We weren't there. We missed the birth. Uh. We found out over the phone that he had been born and hence uh, just started this mad rush to get on a plane and just get there and be there with mm. him. And mm. it was really, it was really confronting um, because I hadn't allowed myself to celebrate at all during of the pregnancy um, yeah. after having been through just so many difficult experiences um, and having things taken away from me. Mm. I really was not going to commit to this idea that I was bringing a baby home at the end of it. So oh. I had, I was completely unprepared. Like I, there was no nursery. There was no nothing. I literally just thought I'll wait one more week. I'll wait. I'll celebrate next week. And that time never came. And I think the day where I just thought, well, at least I better start getting organized just in case this actually works out is when I got the phone call that he was born. <laughs> I mean, really absolutely nothing went to plan during this entire wow. experience, but yeah. it just added to how momentous this moment was. Oh. Describe to me the moment of walking into the room, I don't, whether it was a hospital room or, or or the home of the surrogate where you met your little boy, Evander. Um, can you can you put into words laying eyes on him for the first time? Uh, it's, it's quite interesting you put it that way because I was forced to put into words for the book. Of course. And I, I did really struggle, but it, it helped me to take a step back after all this time and, and analyse it a little bit. And um, I think so you can imagine and you go through it as a reader in the book. You really go through this. I take you on this journey of this nine-year mm. struggle mm -hmm. with no explanations. All the setbacks are completely unexpected. We've baffled doctors 
we get nine years down the track. We don't quite accept that we're having a child via surrogate, but he arrives, you know, seven weeks early. So we start this frantic rush to get on a plane, take our belongings with us in preparation to live in Thailand for two months. So it's all <laughs> frantic, frantic, frantic. Mm. And I walk into the hospital and they have the surrogate children in a separate area. And he was in the um, NICU because he was born yeah. early, just yes. under observation. And so I robe up, you know, I've got my pink robe on and my pink slippers and my pink hat. And <laughs> we walk into the, um, to the NICU and I sit down and with no ceremony whatsoever, someone just passes me a baby. <laughs> Like there was no song and dance. I don't know. I felt like it should be like a musical production. Like I yeah, know, maybe some like someone it. burst out of a cake or something. <laughs> something, right? You yeah. think you know, and a whole yeah. background dancers or something. But yeah. anyway, they basically just put a baby in my arms, and I. It was literally like a dam had burst. Um, And when I say that, the emotions were so extreme. And they were, you know, I think every parent experiences this to a point, but I think a lot of my joy and um, happiness and shock and surprise and transformation was all mixed in with all this grief that I was trying to hold back and the anger and the rage And all these things that I kept trying to push down because I thought it's not healthy to approach Mm. having a child in such a negative way. And so I I had pushed all these things down for so many years and I feel like it all came out at once. It was, Mm. I was like a volcano. I can't even (laughs) um, explain it. It was so, so much. But I just, I felt like I I changed as a person in in a Mm. second in a second yeah it was amazing and for bill how was how was he was he just trying to keep the volcano bill. from erupting or <laughs> this is your partner of course <laughs> yes bill bill shocked me as well i must say he's a very capable strong person very yeah. logical so yeah. supportive throughout the process yeah, yeah, yeah wanted this as badly as i did and we get there and I lit- he was afraid of carrying the baby, like even in case he would drop him. Mm. <laughs> I just, I, I couldn't let go of the child. Like no one could take this child off of me. Whereas Bill was just like, didn't want to touch it. Like he was, and I call yeah. it in the book. I'm like, it was like a Fabergé egg. Like, it was so precious. And so such a long time coming that he really thought he might break him. So, yeah, he was a little bit distant but admiring from afar, I think. Yeah, (laughs) what an an incredibly beautiful story. This is Great Australian Lives for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives, and we'll wrap things up with the author of Every Conceivable Way, Despina Maris, in just a moment. You're listening to Great Australian Lives with Laura Turner for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to Great Australian Lives for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Our guest tonight is author, photographer and editor Despina Meris, whose memoir, Every Conceivable Way, is in all good bookstores now and tells the story of her nine-year quest to become a mother. It is an incredible story. We just, in the last segment, heard about the moment that she met her baby who was uh, born via surrogate in Thailand. How many years ago is it now, Despina? He's just turned six. 
Just oh, six wow, years ago. so six years ago, wow. And tell us about uh, a little Evander. What's, what kind of a boy is he? Oh, he is awesome. <laughs> He's uh, <laughs> absolutely amazing, like every mother, I think, thinks her own child is. But um, it's, uh, it's funny because he's come into the world as a whirlwind and a lot of people mm-hmm. tell me that they feel like their child's personality is very similar to the birth. And so I think the way he came in early into the world, he couldn't wait dramatically making himself known very quickly, I think is really how he acts on a day-to-day basis. <laughs> Does he know He's got a bi- big personality. Mm. Yeah, it's, um, I, I feel like the best approach with parenthood mm. is honesty. honesty. I really yeah. do. And yep. I've explained the story to him, I think, on a level that he can understand. So the yeah. absolute basics about, you know, how he did come from, from mummy and daddy and a piece mm-hmm. of each of us, mm-hmm. but my womb wasn't working. And a good friend looked after him for nine months, grew him, nurtured him, mm-hmm. and he was born in his hours. It's just beautiful. Do, do you keep in touch with the, the surrogate mother or does he has he ever met her? Other, I mean, now, we do I mean, keep, obviously he's yeah. met her, but <laughs> spoken to her. <laughs> he, he, probably, he probably knows her better than most people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, it, yeah, we have kept that relationship going. Oh, we, um, we've been very respectful of how she wanted to allow the relationship to unfold. Yes. Yes. So during the pregnancy, we met her family, her children, her mum, multiple times um we got a sense of what her life was like um we had lots of conversations and and really got to know each other and she's incredible on so many levels and after the birth i just felt like well i'd like her to tell us what she wants our relationship to be i don't want to mm. force mm. a friendship if she thinks this is just done and dusted and it is what it is she was very grateful to do this for us and she even um she even said that if the laws had been different, she would have given us a sibling for Evander, which is Aww. says so much about her and mm. how giving she is. Mm. Um, and from then on, we've decided to just basically send each other photos of the kids as they grow. So she sends us photos of where they are and what's happening in their lives, and we send photos of us. And we've decided, I mean, just because we wanted to know that this is something that we'll never forget. And so every year on Evander's birthday, we send her a monetary gift that we hope just helps her and her family. She can do with what she wishes, but just to know that for us, it's never done and dusted. Yes. It's um, she's part of our lives forever. Yeah. And I think that's um, a really good segue into the life of being a mother. It is never done and dusted, is it? (laughs) No, (laughs) no, it isn't. (laughs) What do you love most about it? Oh, I love, I love seeing, he's a, he's a very passionate and enthusiastic and embraces everything he does. He gets really into everything. And so I love seeing it through his eyes, you know, things that might seem mundane to us as adults because we've seen it a million times, but is new to him. Yeah. I love getting caught up in that. I love yeah. being a kid again. It's yeah. it really brings out that, that childlike wonder. It's wonderful. Yeah. 
That is beautiful. Well, if you've been listening tonight and would like to read Despina Maris's book, Every Conceivable Way, it is available now in all good bookstores. Uh, and for more information, of course, you can go to despinameris.com. Uh, and Despina, can we find you on social media too? Yes, absolutely. Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, yep, I'm pretty much everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for um, being our guest tonight. It's been such an interesting story and an absolute pleasure. I do appreciate you having me and I also appreciate you bringing light to these stories so people know that there are alternative ways of becoming parents and there's absolutely no shame in it. And in fact, I've become quite proud of our journey. Absolutely. A mother is a mother. That's right. If you've enjoyed our chat with Despina Maris tonight and you'd like to share it with a friend, subscribe to the Great Australian Lives podcast. This is Great Australian Lives for Tobin Brothers Funerals celebrating lives. And of course, join me the same time next week when we celebrate another Great Australian Lives. You're listening to Great Australian Lives with With Laura Turner Turner for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives.